Hello and welcome to the Ford Unto Dawn podcast. On this show, we dive into the fiction of the Halo science fiction universe wherever that leads. This is episode number 16. I'm David Fuchs, and I'm joined by my co-host, Danny, a.k.a. Slightly Live. Hardly, huh? So it's been a while since we last recorded. I think actually looking at the last, our last episode was recorded a year and a day ago. Uh, And since we last talked, which was in December 2014, about uh, Halo Broken Circle, there's been a whole lot of uh, happening in the fiction world of Halo. Namely, there was Halo 2 Anniversary in the Master Chief Collection, there was uh, New Blood, there was Saint's Testimony, there was Halo Last Light, there was Halo Hunters in the Dark, Halo Shadow of Intent, and Halo 5. And Hunt the Truth? Does that count as a separate thing? That's, that's true. That does the, the marketing uh, Hunt the Truth podcast for Halo 5. So there's been a mess of stuff going on. We're not going to try to attempt to review everything that was gone while we were gone. Uh, we're going to talk about one of those things uh, more in depth today. But I guess in terms of taking everything in aggregate, Danny, um, in terms of what we've seen in the past year, uh, what are your general thoughts? What you liked, what you disliked, um, where you think that 343 has taken the fiction this year? I think the, um, just to quickly note on what's, what's come, I think that some of the some of the books have been outstanding. Some, some haven't been outstanding. Um, but my favorite standout piece would have to be Hunt the Truth. I think that's taken, taken our our beloved fiction to a different audience, a different demographic, and it's it's expanded. It was obviously like on the back of the Hail Five marketing, but uh, I think what it did was was absolutely mind blowing, and I think. If they can apply that sort of time and talent to new projects that aren't directly tied into a video game, uh, just like an original sort of uh, offshoot, I would be all for it. Because easily, Hunt the Truth is easily the, the best the best piece of fiction that they have produced in a long, long time. Yeah, I think, I'm not sure, it's hard to pick favorites, but I definitely think that um, Hunt the Truth was was basically sort of video gaming's answer to serial in terms of how in the past year, especially people who didn't realize that podcasts were a thing are like, Oh my God, podcasts are a thing. And it kind of sucks for the people who forget that podcasts have been a thing for years now. And especially in halo, that's been going on since literally, I think the day after iTunes uh, added support for podcasts. Mm. Um, But it definitely was, something that was really interesting. It was great that we got a second season and they managed to do something different with it. Um, I think they were both really good and it definitely was, I think successful because you talk about 6.7 million listeners on iTunes. And I don't think that is really, that's all hardcore Halo fans. Obviously that's definitely a broader audience. Yeah, definitely. I think as well is the fact that they, they put so much time an effort into it. They, they brought on a, a fantastic extended cast of, of really solid actors to bring really solid performances to the whole thing. Like, like Mark Hamill was in there even. Mm-hmm. They literally just snuck in so so much 
just raw talent into that project, and it was it was great to see. You know? Yeah, I I didn't realize Keegan Michael Key could actually do something serious, so that was interesting to hear. And we well we got to we got to finally hear uh, Black Box. What's his name? Peter Serafanovitz. I can never. It's something along those lines. But yeah, he was awesome, and I definitely think that they they picked the right the right sound for Black Box. The thing is that I think that a lot of people have been listening to audiobooks for for a while, and I think that the format itself has has a lot of potential. You know, what I mean, like we we don't need to stick with audiobooks. I think it's shown that. We, if the if the time's put into an original creation via podcast, via serialized storytelling, and that sort of way, there's there's definitely an audience for it, and it's an audience that won't pick up a book. You know what I mean? It's a different kind of audience, and um, they have a lot of time to fill. You know what I mean? And I think that's the sort of that's the sort of content I want them to fill it with. Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely think overall they really have been pushing because we got all these. Before, it was pretty straightforward. You got a book every so often, and we had the Under 343, we had the Kilo 5 trilogy, and we had the uh, Greg Bear's uh, Forerunner trilogy, and now we're getting all these um, short little digital shorts, um, novellas, so there's a lot in addition to the big novel-length books, so we're definitely getting a lot more and a lot more varied stories, which I think is great, and it sort of builds off what you were saying where they're sort of taking advantage of, hey, there's all these new mediums available. People don't just read books. They don't just listen to an audiobook. They don't just play the games. I think in terms of my favorite, I would have to go with Halo Last Light. It was nice to, it was something that worked well. And I think it's one of those books that shows where the strengths of, when, if someone had asked, well, why bother writing, let alone reading a Halo novel? It's something that extends a corner into something we're never going to get in the games. It brings back established characters, gets you more time to sort of inhabit them, learn more about them. Um, and it puts in little hooks that don't even necessarily need to be followed up in the future. But if they do, that's one of those things that fans really enjoy, drawing those connections. Yeah. I didn't like the story. I thought, no, I didn't like it at all. And unfortunately, it hit all the wrong notes for me. I thought the whole cave stuff was just, uh, I wanted to bury them and the story with it in there and just walk away half the time. It felt that it just wouldn't end. I thought the overall story about the, the Forerunner AI and the real mission to capture it was overshadowed by boring, boring, boring stuff. Um, I don't know. It was just. It was just. Uh, it felt like it felt arduous going through it. You know, the, there was no mystery at all about it. There was no. Yeah, I, I did think that the the this detective aspect was one of the most interesting parts, and in that they sort of halfway through, it sort of ended. Yeah, like it came up at the end, but by that point, yeah, you you knew it, who it was basically. I, I didn't like that. I, it's. I don't know there was a lot of good ideas in, in the book. I don't think they they gelled well. Um, I was just glad it was over and I was reading through it. I was like, God, please, this next chapter be it. Oh, God, no. They find another excuse for a couple of chapters. Flip sick. Okay, so 
in terms of would that be your pick for the weakest piece of Halo fiction that came out this year? Or you have some God, other it's, it's coin toss up between that and Let's Visit the Ark 2. Yes, which was uh, Hunters in the Dark. Like, that was... That was... Uh, that was so disappointing. Like, going back to the Ark post-Halo 3, like, how could you mess that up? Like, it's... Uh. Yeah, that's one of the things I was... I was definitely excited for it because as... I remember as a teenager... If you've never read Star Trek novels, um, I imagine it's the similar thing with the Star Wars Expanded Universe, but there was always a whole bunch of crap. You can say many things about the quality of Halo's expanded fiction, but Star Wars and Star Trek, I think, both have some really atrocious stuff that Halo cannot compare. <laughs> and for me, the stuff that was good and I really enjoyed was um, Peter David's, I think it was New Frontiers series. So I was super excited to have him doing a full-length Halo novel. And after reading Hunters in the Dark, I wasn't sure if, oh, if I go back and reread the Star Trek novels, am I going to just think that they suck now? And it was just one of those things <laughs> that as a kid, like, or as a teenager, I was like, oh, this is so good. Yeah. Coincidentally enough, Troy Danning's a, a big Star Wars writer, actually. He, he appeared in some of the bigger EU novel series of Star Wars, which got retconned out of existence recently. So I had an idea of, of his writing style. He's actually a pretty good, solid, reliable writer. I've never actually had fault with his writing style or or anything with it. Like I said, this book in particular, last night wasn't even it wasn't badly written. You know, the, I, I think the Hunters in the Dark was badly written with a with a weak story. Yeah, it just kind of, as you said, I think is one of those things where taken on its own, it's it's okay, but it took a premise that people have been thinking about for so long and that they'd sort of teased um in other books they teased it in the uh if not the data drops then definitely uh catalog posts on waypoint and then um it was sort of part of the frame tale for primordium so we're like oh we knew someone had gone back yeah there was there was yeah there was a hint about going back to the ark it was it was something fans knew was going to happen at some point and there was something going on there so it was it was anticipated, and also I think I think the the from by my reckoning the opening to uh, the I guess the sort of teaser for uh, Hunters in the Dark where it's like this guy who's slowly dying after getting attacked by these blind wolves and suddenly this voice out of nowhere is saying Hey, do you want to live? I think that was one of the most interesting um, openings of a piece of Halo fiction we got, and then it just kind of dissolved into <laughs> not as interesting as that over yeah. bit suggested yeah, definitely. um no i think the, the one of the cardinal sins that the book committed was the uh was the threatening the galaxy again it's oh by the way all the halo rings are going to activate we're going to wipe out the entire galaxy unless we solve this thing oh it's a galactic destruction thing that, that that's that's new. We haven't faced that threat before. We don't need that. That's what the games are for, you know what I mean? Like Master Chief's work and sacrifice and all that stuff. Because he saved the galaxy. Well, we we saved the galaxy in this book too, you know? It's it felt really out of place to have that sort of scale of threat looming over what is essentially a never mentioned again event. Yeah, and then you had what, a sentinel invasion of Earth? I think people would have remembered that. They kept banging on about the new. It was, it was, it was uh, 
what do you call the thing from Halo 4 or whenever the people got composed? What what was the event they called it? The something event? Uh, New Phoenix. The New Phoenix event. Like, Sentinels invading Earth? Why, why isn't that an event that is reminisced and talked about? I don't think that in terms of civilian casualties, it makes much of an impact. But the fact that they kind of imply that, oh, well, the, the home fleet was severely damaged and right after... That's just seemed okay. Wait, so we, in between Halo Three and Halo Four, we lost the home fleet again. That was kind of strange. Like that's so weird, you know. That of the of the scale of what what was supposed to be happening and the and what was at odds and what was at risk, and it's it's never really mentioned again outside of one or two minor references. So was, I didn't like that. Also, I'm completely ignoring the slogging through the snow that never ends. The half Robocop guy at the end. Oh, God. Oh, just really terrible everythings in that book. Well, so where do you think uh, the Halo fiction is going to go from here? Obviously, in Halo 5, there was a big uh, status quo shift. I don't necessarily think... I think I think right now we're we have a we have a serious problem actually with, with the fictions in in the Halo because there's a massive change in the status quo. It, it it's it screws the fiction. How can you have a story right now in the existing Halo universe post Halo Five that doesn't entirely impact or is entirely impacted by Halo 5's conclusion? Apart from going into the past, and the past is a big, bottomless pit to plunder from, you know what I mean? So, I mean, aside from Hunters in the Dark, actually, is one of the few pieces. Um, and I guess Last Light takes place sort of the same time. But most between basically 2553 and the events of Halo 4, there's still a lot that hasn't been covered. Yeah, but I, I, I think the story has written them into a corner. And I watched the vid doc with, with Brian Reed and and, and Frankie and, and, and Mr. Vociferous. And uh, I, it was an insight into the whole thing for sure. But uh, I, I don't think it was an insight I kind of wanted because we had Brian Reed... Really boldly telling and shouting about how he already knew the end of Halo Five immediately before anything else was done. And you're, if you think about where that ends, it's like, why would you want to end on that? Why would you want to put that there at that point? Because where can you go? Where's your sideways, sideways look after that point? Because the games will have to deal with continuing on that story. We might get glimpses. Like we might get a book. A, a book would be fantastic. A look at a, a, maybe Cortana's journey. But it, it, it wouldn't be a long book. It would be a short story. But I don't think how else you could flash that out. Mm-hmm. Maybe have a story about AI considering the options. But then again, like, it's no. I honestly, I'm, I, I'm drawing blanks when it comes to continuing on Halo Fiction. It should always be pushing beyond what you have in the games and then the games come and cement the next big milestone and then you get your your fiction to fill in the gaps basically but as you said the, the, we're not restricted to that 
that rule. You can't go back in time. We can go and explore that, but it feels as if we just got a major roadblock thrown in our faces, fiction-wise, where, again, I, I, I can't see anything right now to fill that, that gap. I definitely think it's a gap that needs filled. Mm-hmm. I definitely don't think, because by my reckoning, 2014 and 2015 were basically way busier in terms of fiction than any other year. So I don't think, I feel like in the wake of Halo 5 releasing, they're definitely going to dial that back. I want to say that, because I know everyone, there's a bunch of people out there who don't like buying their books digitally and stuff, that there really should be an Evolutions Volume 3 or Evolutions 2, depending on how you quantify it, packaging up some of these things, yeah. um, maybe with other short stories. Because by my, to me, Evolutions is still the overall best piece of Halo Expanded Universe material out there. There's some books, like novels I like, I guess, overall more, but just in terms of the wide variety of stuff we got in Evolutions. Yeah, that, 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 that uh, shotgun approach of throwing a lot of stuff in there was, was fantastic because you got some really wildly contrasting stories and themes, but uh, yeah, I don't think there's, there, is, there is anything comparable in terms of diversity, you know? Uh, in terms of Halo products out there. Just to see where that goes in the year 2016 coming down on us. We do have um, that story compendium that was just announced yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be Halo Mythos. Um, you can, well, we'll put uh, show notes in the show notes. We'll put uh, links to all the stuff we're talking about. Um, but in the last Cannon Fodder, uh, Grim Brother sort of teased out uh, Halo Mythos. And it's interesting that they don't seem to be... It's not a revision to the encyclopedia. I'm not even sure how you would describe it because it doesn't really fit into their previous pattern of um, visual guides and encyclopedias. I think that Halo Mythos is the kind of product that Halopedia can't serve. It's the kind of product that we can't do as fans because they can outdo us, if you know what I mean, in terms of... Like they're commissioning new art mm-hmm. to to officially by by the way officially expand on things that never had art before to to illustrate things that has only been talked about and written about, and I think that's amazing and awesome. Like that's exactly what I would would want. Yeah, I, I want to see more things visually, and I know with Isaac's projects, uh, he's he's tried to expand the visual repertoire through fan work in the past. Um, but to see see an official product that does that, to see an official product that takes the whole Halo story and condenses it down into a more digestible, well, here's your Forerunners to Master Chief story, you know what I mean? And it condenses that for a more general audience outside of outside of websites and Halopedia, essentially. Mm-hmm. I think that's fantastic. Like, I would love to be able to reach that almost it's almost like a primer for new fans you know just come down sit down read the book and you're you'll be caught up just like me you and everyone else listening to this podcast Mm -hmm. and it was nice even uh with the book we're gonna actually talk about a little more shadow of intent uh oh and here's a female elite oh wow like and it's not just a kind of weird Japanese interpretation in 
Halo Legends. Those those sort of illustrations really do go far in a setting a tone, and then I guess being more evocative than yeah words will ever be. I've noticed that O'Connor got a lot of criticism. Frankie got a lot of criticism for a comment he made, and it was widely reported about about Cortana in particular. Uh, he was asked why is Cortana naked, and it was I think it was a general journalist who wouldn't be fully aware of the extended stories that Cortana is involved in, or and the backstories that are given and the sort of justification that exists. So for Frankie, for whatever reason, explained about using her her vulnerability as a weapon. And I could I could understand an outsider's perspective hearing that and, and getting the whole sort of sleazy thinking, ah, that, that sounds really terrible sort of thing. Uh, that's not the impression you get. I, I know it's not the impression I've got as a fan playing through the games and seeing the extended fiction. But one thing I did notice is that with Halo 5, Cortana hasn't... She's smartened her look up, let's just say. And I think pushing for that and doing that and making that change was the right, the right sort of course. And I see things like making, making the, even the, the female leads. There's a shipmaster in Halo Five. There's the, the character in this book. I think doing that is a push towards normalizing what's maybe has been an imbalance, let's just say. It's like even in Halo 5's main roster, you have a very strong female presence on both teams. And I think that's definitely something that we should recognize Mm -hmm. and that we should support. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. All right, so do you want to dive into uh, the book then? Or the novella, I should say. Sure thing. I I know I wasn't rushing to read it. Um, I wasn't looking forward to it. I was looking forward to anything by by Mr. Mr. Staten continuing on with Halo. Halo, Shadow of Intent, uh, came out December 7th. Uh, it's a short digital novella, um, and it's written by Joe Staten. So you saying you were looking forward to it. I, To me, aside from the incredibly regrettable sex scene at the end of Contact Harvest, I think Contact Harvest <laughs> is my favorite Halo novel. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. Um I would I would actually agree with you on that. I I think it it isn't the the best written Halo novel, but the fact that it was written with someone with so much so much passion and conviction for the the content that it helped put the story and put the whole reading experience somewhere above uh other pieces of fiction. For me at least. Um, and overall, uh, we'll talk about things generally before we get into the nitty-gritty plot details. Uh, I liked uh, Shadow of Intent. It took only probably an hour for me to read it. Um, it's pretty breezy, but in that time, it manages to come up with a nice glimpse into events we already knew about and elaborating on them. It gives us a nice catch-up with what some characters are doing after we've seen them last and where they're going. Uh, it introduces some new characters who might come into play down the road. For all the good things about it, and this will be the, the maybe the only real negative that I want to just bring up so we can get it out of the way, 
is the use of the doomsday weapon of the of the week. <laughs> okay, yeah. So we'll get into that. Um, you have any more general thoughts before we do? I I read it in two settings. Well, maybe two and a half, three settings, because uh, I was I was busy with work, so it was my go to bed reading material and falling asleep whilst I'm reading it reading material. So I wasn't able to sit down in one big gulp. So it took me a wee while to to go through it, um, but I I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was it was a nice solid read. If you haven't read it. I'll throw the spoiler horn here, uh, and you can run away scurrying and come back later. And if you're still with us after that, uh, we can sort of dive into the plot. Uh, it takes place in 2553. I was not entirely sure. There's some people who are quibbling about um, canonicity because uh, I think a catalog post previously said that uh, the Shadow of Intent, the supercarrier that plays a role in this uh, was refitted in 2553 and it's not at this point and it was also um, there's some stuff about whether the brutes originally controlled it or the elites uh, which is kind of confusing but I guess it takes place my understanding was that it takes place basically right after the Kilo 5 trilogy which takes place in like April, May-ish so this is later on um, and it starts out with a prophet, a Sanchayum, who we have not seen at all, I think, since. I can't think of any post-Halo 3 fiction we've gotten taking place in terms of chronology, chronologically that we've actually seen prophets. Oh, oh no, 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 I'm sorry, I'm lying. Uh, there's one prophet in Broken Circle, and that's it. <laughs> there's nothing to indicate what's happening to them as a group. Yeah, and uh, we got uh, the last information we got is that they sort of they were presumed to either be dead or they'd all just vanished and taken most of the engineers. Yeah, uh, in the Kilo Five trilogy, uh, but here we find uh, the former Minister of Preparation, and he's also with a prelate, which is the the big new thing I think that this novel introduces is that the prophets generally have been thought of as sort of these sort of like decrepit race that grew dependent on these uh, gravity chairs except once they get to a certain age um and the prelates are the antithesis of that they're basically genetically modified to sort of be like this elite core of soldiers um and most of them got destroyed uh, along with high charity and the events of halo 2 i i kind of see them as as the Swiss Guard, essentially, mm-hmm. they're uh, they're formidable compared to the average prophets. But um, so these guys have a bunch of uh, brutes and drones along with them, and they nuke a bunch of uh, captured elites, and we find out that they have access to a mini Halo, which has never been mentioned until now, which is. On one hand, makes sense and seems plausible. On the other hand, it's just still kind of goofy to me. Let's destroy the micro flood. Oh, well, I mean, you like all right. You you make the scale model of the thing before you build the entire giant thing. That makes sense. Just the 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 visual to me is just kind of hilarious. Yeah, it's. Uh, I said it was my one main complaint about the book, and it is. 
It's really, really stupid. Okay? They could have came up with any kind of forerunner technology that had side effects, and they weren't even aware of, of, the, of, the, of the use of it or the proper use of it, and were using, say, a forerunner nightlight as a, as a doomsday device because it had the side effect of nuking the crap out. You know, they could have used any sort of, like, non-hill-related device that had some side effects, and because they were ignorant of the actual use of the device, they just used it to, to cook people. They could have done that, you know? They could have done a million and one other explanations and devices or whatever. And we went with a mini Halo because it's got a Halo on the title and we got to squeeze a Halo in there somewhere. So you were wanting something like in, um, you know, let's say, in uh, Stargate SG-1, they have a device basically built by their version of the Foreigners, the Ancients, that's supposed to heal people, but it has the side effect of turning people crazy and into zombies if you kill them. Yeah, yeah, because... Whenever you don't appreciate and fully understand a a technology, and that's what we're supposed to be doing with these forerunners, we're not supposed to, especially the Covenant in particular. They they didn't fully understand the usage and the and the potential of the things that they were using and stealing and borrowing from. Well, there there's the the token. uh, Man, the Prophet of Truth really should have told me about this back when it mattered. uh, Line from I think the Minister of Preparation. So presumably yeah. at, they yeah. knew about it shortly before uh, the fall of High Charity. Like, did they fashion their little holographic halo rings on their on their wee hats after the mini one? <laughs> or, you know, it's... it's I don't know. Uh, um, but so, well, to sort of to your point, though, the, with the not really understanding it, it, throughout the novel, it's the mini halos sort of falling apart. So it implies either that they aren't using it right or... It was always unstable, and basically they can't fix it, so it's sort of a, a limited duration. What they need to do is find a little mini caretaker AI bot to fix it, you know, <laughs> a little mini arc to take it to. Maybe. maybe yes, maybe there's the this scale maquette version of the arc they can take the mini Halo to, complete with a mini monitor that wants to kill everyone. Um, that's, that's, that's the game I want to play. <laughs> so, uh, as it sort of we see this basically they start out with um they establish that the prelate and the minister have this mini halo and they're going to do something to uh to get back at our favorite shipmaster Halfjaw, which i always thought was ratas vadum and now i've totally forgotten the proper pronunciation but joe staten said it differently <laughs> but i'll just use Halfjaw because that's what people refer to him anyhow. And I think actually that's one of those cases where I don't know if he even had a real name. Um, and everyone, all the fans just called him Half John that sort of stuck. Ship over to what Half John is doing. And that's basically rolling around with the assault carrier Shadow of Intent and trying to stay out of the way of everyone on San Helios uh, and the civil war that's going on there because the. Arbiter says, basically, this is too honking big a uh, ship to lose, and it could be a disaster, so go away. How about we fully staff it and then use it? Oh, wait, no, no, no. Yeah. Well, that, that definitely, um, this book sort of ties in a little bit with uh, what we saw in the, the Kilo 5 trilogy and then sort of the, the payoff in Halo 5, where they realize even if you have the ships, like, 
do you have the crew? Do you have the people to maintain and staff them? And yeah, but this is one badass ship. Like you should have sacked five smaller ships or a dozen smaller ships to crew this big ass one. Get it fully up. It's basically the infinity strategy that you, the humans are using, isn't it? Well, they're they're not following. Put it. all your hopes if you want big ass ship that will bully the shit and everyone else. But so he's kind of they're kind of going around um, on the fringes of space, and they end up at a Sangheili frontier colony. Um, which was giving off the planetary distress call. And so they travel down. He's got a second command, second in command, uh, Vul Saron, who's a blade master. Which I just like saying, blade master. Uh, and they discover that the colony has been attacked. A bunch of people got captured. Uh, and so the, the daughter of the Kadon basically says, I want to go after the people who attacked us, who, which turned out to be some prophet. Um, and they realize that, oh, well, this prophet has to be a prelate. And we thought we'd kill them all, but apparently not. Uh, and Halfjaw, against everyone's judgment, decides to take along the uh, the female, who's, uh, I believe, Tool Jaron. I'm, it's horrible. Covenant names are bad. I just can never remember them. <laughs> unless I have them right in front of me. But yeah, so they're like, all right, you can come along with us. And we get uh, a little bit about the rest of his crew. Um, besides the Blade Master, the only other uh, major character in this is the uh, Grunt Stolt, who um, actually commands a spec. The Uber Grunt? Yes, the Uber Grunt, who commands a spec ops uh, team of elites. He's more, yeah, the Grunt is more badass. Than a badass elite. Like, what? I was trying to figure out, because they mentioned that he he actually managed to... I mean, he didn't really win, but he managed to basically survive a encounter with a Spartan. And I wasn't sure if that was supposed to be a specific reference to any time we'd seen in the books or the novels. Probably some bronze tear scrub. <laughs> it was just one of those things, like, I feel like I should know what they're referring to. But they didn't really yeah, give you enough details. It was, it was far too specific. Mm, grunt can kind of grunt kicks your ass. Mm. And I, I definitely, because this is a novella, they don't really get a lot to do. But I really liked Stolt, especially since um, when people were talking about it on the Halo.Bungie.org forums, there were some people who didn't really buy the idea of this Uber Grunt. And I think that's one of the reasons that really need a character like that because. If you just play the games, you assume that they're kind of goofy cannon fodder. And if you get into the novels, you realize, I mean, I think especially, uh, well, Contact Harvest had a, a important grunt in Dadab. And then I think Halo the Flood had Yayap, I believe, or Flipyap, mm. or one of those grunt names. Also not particularly great for remembering, but who they showed that, hey, grunts can be their not just cannon fodder they're competent there's a reason that they managed to almost overthrow the covenant at one point and had to commission an arbiter to stop them wasn't that just because they couldn't stop bunny robbing bunny rabbiting a bit yes they're, they're they multiply like rabbits but they can get pretty they're that rabbit's dynamite <laughs> let us taunt it it may become so cross that it will make a mistake like what and it was nice to have a character who I mean, I love the comic relief, and I was glad that happened back in Halo 5, but they're also a real human, or 
not a human race, but a real alien race. You assume that they aren't just all the same. Also, apparently, the I think actually introduced in Contact Harvest 2 is the idea that a lot of the grunts are basically stoned out of their gourds because they have narcotics they breathe in with their methane. Yeah. So that gives you a, another idea on why the ones we meet in the games aren't the sharpest tools in the shed. So Stalt was a cool little addition in here too. And so they've got all these guys on their uh, on their ship and they're following off, going to find this, uh, this prelate. One thing I wanted to point out I really liked, it was a very throwaway moment, but it was definitely in there, was whenever uh, Halfjaw is reflecting upon the damage that's caused to the colony, um, he gets a sense and appreciation for the violence and suffering the Covenant inflicted upon the humans. <laughs> and actually, that's, that's a, another good point, is that like you said, there are these little tiny moments um, that I think you get a lot from. And one of the ones I really liked in here is um, the sort of the whole story is tied together by this um, this bit from uh, Sanghili mythology where uh, this guy's father was captured. And so this warrior goes off as his right to capture back his father and they or his uncle, rather. Yeah. And they nearly escape after. But he's shot and falls into the sea. And so the question is, in the mythology is, was it the enemy who killed him or was it his own uncle who betrayed him? And that, along with, they describe uh, how this, like, kind of hinterland colony has different customs than St. Helios and how uh, Tul Jaran's role as a woman is different there than it would be in St. Helios. And I thought those were all really good additions because i think there's always a problem in science fiction of your alien races being a monoculture oh god mono yes yeah and especially uh i mean it really comes down to to me the example for the elites is the klingons and star trek because they're both they both have this very feudalistic japanese inspired warrior code yep and what we get we've gotten a lot from the expanded universe is yeah but they're not all like that we have the um the elites who are obviously way more pious than others um, that Jewel and Dama ends up finding. We have these guys who are kind of away from everything else and they don't have the same rigid codes that the people on the home planet do. So and along with the Stolt, it's nice to have these little shades that show you, hey, yeah, grunts are grunts and elites are elites, but they aren't all the same, just the same way that Ackerson is not the prototypical person and that there are lots of you've got jacob keys you got miranda keys they're all different characters and they all have different motivations they're all different yep and so that's really nice so they go off on uh the shadow of intent to chase down these prophets and we get um a sort of a flashback in a dream uh with the prelate who's named uh tem batek and once again i will refer to him as prelate because covenant names geez uh and he's sort of uh this sort of impressionistic dream remembering uh back to high charity um we get this is i wasn't sure exactly how much of this was supposed to be canon versus is just his own dream because he describes it's really interesting because we never got much about the flood in high charity aside from a short story in uh yeah in evolutions and it was really interesting to see just the the panic of everyone freaking out when the flood attack, and that was really great. Although 
he describes it as taking place during like this this big celebration of the prophets having a new kid yeah which was once again like oh well that's an interesting bit of the culture and it makes sense and but wait wasn't there a civil war going on exactly at this time like why is everyone celebrating it seemed a little strange to me that those were i wasn't sure though because he describes about how some parts of his dream definitely didn't happen if that was sort of an amalgamation of... No, I think the whole... It wasn't a civil war, per se, wasn't it? It was a, the changing of the guard. It could have been, like, mainly a military sort of thing, kept out from the public, you know what I mean? Because High Charity was a functional city as well. Yeah. And the, the military stuff could have been literally a layer down below, or quite a lot down below, yeah, that, you know what I mean, true. beneath the surface. Mm-hmm. doesn't quite also... Although things like uh, Broken Circles, uh, discussion of high charity also kind of gives a different flavor. But you're right that these are – it's sort of the the more civilian side versus the, the military-focused uh, characters that we've gotten before. And But anyhow, the prelates remembering how everything was going bad and he had a wife and a newborn child that he was trying to reach. But the shadow of intent – started realizing oh wow the flood are taking over the city we have to stop everyone from leaving um and from the flood from getting out and so that basically and with all the the uh prophets trying to oh wait we got to rescue our people that explains why the their master plan to kick out all the elites and destroy their ships sort of failed and why the prelate is so pissed at the Shadow of Intent and Halfjaw in particular. Yeah, he, he blames Halfjaw for dooming, dooming his wife to a very unpleasant demise. Yeah, and which is definitely something that they don't didn't focus on too much in the books, but which is another thing. Yeah, everyone had a not-so-great time getting horribly killed and infested by the Flood on that city. Um, and we sort of just skip from, oh, the Flood are here, to it's a wasteland in Halo 3. Um, so it was nice to get some more elaboration on that. I think Wasteland's putting it mildly, but okay. <laughs> Poo-colored Wasteland, just for you. <laughs> um, so here, uh, the uh, following, basically, they realize, well, we can figure out where the prelate went, but it's probably a trap. And so they end up uh, encountering the enemy cruiser, the Spear of Light, in the system, and the prelate basically tricks them. I thought that was very nice, by the way. I really thought that was was really nice. It's yeah, it's typical of of that elite mindset to go hit hard and hit fast, and, and taking advantage, taking advantage of that was really nice. I thought it was that that was a joy to read. Well, it was also nice because I'm not one of the reasons that contact harvest is probably one of my favorite books is that it's less um heavy on the military science like techno like um i guess nylundian details but one of the things that i think halo recently hasn't had was these sort of interesting space combat pieces and this was a good one because the uh the prelate basically uses this which i think came up in first strike but the idea that if you get so close to a, a coronal mass of a star, basically, that um, the radiation will stop, start draining your shields and everything. So he uses that to take out the shields of the shadow intent, and then he gets up close and basically uses escape pods to jump into and occupy the shadow of intent. And this is after a fiendish plan, fiendish plan to basically lure them in close so that um, 
they could use the mini halo to nuke everyone on the ship first, which um, Halfjaw manages to avoid. And so then they get into hand-in-hand combat with uh, the prelate and his uh, boarding party. Yep. And so they fight it out. Stolt gets injured. Uh, Prelate gets captured, and then he escapes again. Um, Not before we heart-to-heart. Yes, yes. They have uh, the heart-to-heart between Halfjaw and the prelate, and the prelate basically blames him for everything and half jaw says well i did stop everyone from getting out but they were still alive when i was stopping that and i feel bad about it and the prelate realizes that doesn't jive with uh what he learned from the uh minister who said that everyone including your daughter or your son and i don't even know if he knows if the prelate knows the gender of his child uh but his wife and child uh were dead by the time he got there and so that's why the prelate rescued the minister and got out of there. Yeah, he thought he was, he thought he was too late, and that they're already they were they were dead at that point. He thought. Yeah. So suddenly he's all conflicted about this. Did the was the minister lying to him just to use his desire for revenge? Uh, but he manages to escape uh, when they uh, the elites go down to the uh, installation where the mini halo is. The minister reveals. Uh, his fiendish plan, which is to basically burn the mini halo in a big pulse to destroy Sanghelios. Uh, and they were going to use the shadow of intent to power it, basically, and move it. And he also admits, which, why do you admit these things, evil people, and when you're doing your plans? But he admits to the prelate, yeah, I kind of did lie about your wife and child because I knew that I needed to get out of there, and you were my only chance, and I thought I could use your desire for revenge. He really should have just double-dined on the lie. <laughs> yeah, like... He really should double down and went full in, you know, and made up extra details and the rest of it just to keep him on board and keep him on the right side so as he can finish the plan, but no, no, no. Bad guys for you. Yeah, but so the minister decides he's going to just blow them all up away with the halo while he retreats down to a bunker, but mortally wounded. The prelate has a change of heart and uh, sacrifices himself to destroy the mini halo, uh, kill the minister and his group, and the elites all escape back to the shadow of Inhent. Um, And then they return to one of the previous uh, elite colonies. Halfjaw contacts the Arbiter, brings him up to speed and he tells him that what they learned from the prophet's ship is that a lot of prophets actually did survive high charity and so instead of relaxing and getting some R&R um, Halfjaw decides that he's going to go out to find those surviving uh, prophets and bring the the evildoers to justice and so are we going to get like a prophet hunter comic book or what? And he talks to uh, the Arbiter and says hey we should probably uh, let these these uh, females fight alongside of us. And he says, "Yeah, it's it's probably true." And so uh, Toljaran joins Halfjaw's crew, and they go off in search of adventure. And that's the end of the story. They all lived happily after. <laughs> well, that remains to be seen because obviously uh, Halfjaw is nowhere to be found in Halo Five. Although this sort of sort of uh, sets up the uh, appearance of the female shipmaster in Halo 5 who uh, helps you out as part of Fireteam Osiris. Yep, yep.
Um, and so, any final thoughts? Like I said, solid book, solid read. Book, short story, but uh, yeah. Give me more. I think in terms of the mini Halo confusing, I think in terms of things <laughs> I didn't like about this book, honestly, um, I think... I think uh, Tool Duran's story is obviously the part I dislike because you you made a good point about how um, I think Halo has always been a pretty has been a a good series for good female characters who aren't just in the background or irrelevant. Fohammer. Yeah, I mean you had Fohammer delivering early on, um, but you've had uh, Miranda Keys. You obviously have Halsey, who is basically Hitler. I would. Well, besides being Hitler and evil, uh, <laughs> she's basically, I would say, beyond Cortana and the Chief, she's the most important character of the series. But I definitely think that you're right, that they've they've definitely been uh, pushing it harder. And I don't want to say pushing in, in necessarily a bad way, but they've, they've made it a definite goal. Yeah. Which is fine in most respects, but I feel like, unfortunately, in this case tools story is something we've seen before and it doesn't really add much to me for me uh to the story because oh the the headstrong woman who's held back by the the, we've kind of gotten that already in various forms and so eh, i wouldn't say it was it didn't really hurt the book it also didn't really add much to it um, you know, as a, as a link maybe into our next topic, I would say that maybe she had more personality than some of the other <laughs> some of the other recent females hmm. that have been introduced to, to that, Halo. That's definitely true. She does. You do get more of a sense of her, even if she's sort of a a trope. Um, and I was glad for a brief, tangible second. I was deathly afraid that suddenly this would turn into like a romantic character for half jar or something oh, and it didn't God, go that uh, way at all uh, yeah so yeah. like okay all right good all right good so yeah i guess she didn't do much but then again since i think feel like this could have ultimately they they talked about it sort of started out as a novel or it started out as a short story then it grew to a novella then it grew to a novel and then it went back down i think shadow of intent could have with a little more um meat on it been a full novel yeah and maybe these characters would all have gotten stuff i hope they show up again because i think my concern about her role in this aside i think stolt and the her and Haftra should all come back and they'd be great uh characters in another story yeah i i think it's it's indicative of the kind of writer that staten is that even in a shorter shorter story sort of framework He's managed to introduce really interesting characters and uh, and put things in a just a very entertaining way, really. Uh, with Halfjaw in particular. Yeah, he, he apparently said in uh, the uh, recent Halo live stream that he doesn't get much time to uh, much chance to write in his new job at Microsoft. So, I was what saying, are you doing with him? He's yeah, not I don't making know. Halo, so they're not using him right. <laughs> but so I can only hope that. He isn't writing, then that gives him the desire to write more stuff for Halo in the future. Because I definitely like him back. Definitely put me on that on that bandwagon. So you've alluded to it, um, but as part of our uh, Kickstarter uh, uh, rewards, we offered people uh, at one of the tiers the chance to suggest uh, a topic for 
uh, something we talk about either in an article, write an article about it on forwardontodon.com or talk about. Uh, and some of them we decided, oh, this is better for a podcast. Uh, and so uh, one of them suggested by uh, Jason Lennox was Spartan Lock, the new face of Halo. Uh, and so we thought we'd, we'd talk about that. Spartan Lock. We've, we've gotten uh, him in, I guess, the Halo 2 terminals a little bit. We got him in Nightfall, and now we got him in his his real... Uh, Halo real 2 outing. anniversary terminals, just make sure we, we state that oh, yes, specifically. Yes. Halo 2 anniversary terminals. Uh, so we've seen him in the Halo 2 anniversary terminals uh, in Nightfall, which came with the Master Chief collection, and now we got him in uh, Halo 5, along with a boatload of new characters or new and returning characters new to the the game series. And I guess the first question is, do you think that he is supposed to be the new face of Halo or not? Yeah. Well, obviously he is ignoring intent and wishes and wants. He is on Halo products. He's the front dude on a lot of Halo products. You can buy your little lock figurine Halo figuring, you know, it's, 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 there's no real ambiguity here, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely interesting. I think a lot of people sort of surmised, uh, that based on the reception that, uh, the sequence of, uh, materials we got after Halo 4 and the reception to Sarah Palmer, that at some point Sarah Palmer was supposed to be like the new big character of Halo and that, uh, Oh, if that Lock. was their intent, oh, they failed so hard. Well, yeah, I don't... The uh, the interesting... I think that's definitely a, a popular kind of conspiracy theory. I think in the in uh, one of the Halo Waypoint uh, sort of developer diaries that we got pre-release, um, they mentioned that basically Locke's character was always supposed to be on this team. Uh, at one point, Fireteam Osiris did include... Uh, Sarah Palmer, but they decided that she would be better in another role. It also includes Thorn as well. Yes, Thorn from Spartan Ops. So definitely Spartan Ops characters sort of got a shaft in Halo Five. I'm almost yeah, I'm almost convinced that like the whole Osiris team was basically supposed to be a Spartan Four team spinning out from Spartan Ops. Well, that's that's the uh, the original. There was at one point discussion whether or not Majestic would be Fireteam Osiris or what would become. Yeah, like that. that- if you look at it from from a from from our perspective, just as fans look at it, it does make sense that they would build up this team, this 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 Spartan team with the fours, and and then build off that for the sequel. It makes yeah, it makes perfect sense. The only thing that got in the way is the fact that they did a terrible job with yeah, the Spartan well, Steel. I think the looking back on Spartan Ops, the idea of they kind of decided, oh, well, it would be cool if you could use your own character, multiplayer character in these missions. And then we also want to tell the story through cutscenes. And I'm not sure if having uh, – well, what is what is their team even called in, in Spartan Ops? Exactly. I, I don't exactly. even know. Exactly. You, you, you're, you make, have, you're making a good yeah, point have, right there. You have Fireteam Majestic who you see in cutscenes, and it was always divorced from what you were doing in game, which was kind of weird. Fireteam not as important. Yeah, so basically – I don't think that uh, people had issues with the Spartan fours in general. And I think that really all we got was um, DeMarco got a good death and escalation and Thorne was always the most likable character in Spartan ops to me. 
um, and he got yeah. The problem was is that people thought the Spartans were too much. They're, they're too much like frat boys and rather than super elite trained soldiers. Yeah, and I think we got a glimpse into that in the Halo Five beta, where during the victory poses for the teams, they were high fiving each other and butt slapping and. Fucking drinking beer, I believe. I I can't remember my. I like the. I honestly like the celebration stuff compared to where we got in the final game. But basically, they look like they're standing around sniffing their own farts. (laughs) I think that's also the wrong way of doing. If Danny had his way, they would all have tipped their top hats and raised a pint and said, "Cheerio!" Would be so awesome. What if they did that? Hey, hey, there's, there's still a chance for downloadable requisitions, your victory poses. <laughs> F343, listen, we've given you great ideas here. Printed money. Um, but yeah, as we as they talked about uh, Fireteam Majestic, and despite getting some stuff in Escalation, I definitely think, aside from Thorn, there wasn't a lot to work with. So they decided early on to come up with this tracker character who was going to be former Oni, and that's uh, what ended up being Locke. Four were only sale, the only stuff, pathetic. The Nightfall, only stuff, pathetic. Yeah, and definitely you, in terms only of... Only you're supposed to be spooks, you know what I mean? They're supposed to be like dodgy guys in dodgy shades doing things that you're not supposed to entirely comprehend because they're only, you know, they're acting in your best interests. This guy's just, he's a muscle-headed moron I think the only time it really comes up in his character is uh, in the Halo 2 Anniversary to- Terminals, we get a sort of dossier written by him about talking about uh, assassinating Arby. Oh, yes, his plans to kill Arby. Ooh, he's such a badass. He's going to kill someone we like. Ooh. Yeah, which, I mean, God. it's, hey, story shorthand. You hang a lantern. Uh, who, who wrote it? Like, what was it? What was only his uh, idea for assassinating the Arbiter with, like, what was, what the what were they smoking? <laughs> um, and then, so we got Nightfall, and I honestly had to say before, uh, watching Nightfall, and then I know a lot of people were kind of harshing on, uh, Nightfall on uh, was a mistake. Mike Coulter's uh, uh, voice uh, work in the, the Halo 2 anniversary stuff. Um, I honestly, watching just those things, I would have kind of agreed that yeah, this guy seems kind of wooden and not really into acting. He got his ass handed to him by the fact that he was up directly, literally up against the Arbiter's uh, voice. Like, God. Keith, Keith David, I think, is in the James Earl Jones level of gravitas to your... Yeah, so they, they ended up uh, replacing him with Ike Mzadi, who I think did a better job than the stuff we heard. Uh, yes. Uh, and yeah. also, to be fair, uh, he got replaced, not because, apparently, because people disliked his voice, but because he went off to do the Netflix series Jessica Jones and now Luke yeah. Cage. And watching those, I'm like, oh, well, he can act. So I feel... Yeah. The, whatever the issues of, of uh, Nightfall, it was not solely his fault. Yeah. I really, <laughs> I really, I've really enjoyed his, his character in uh, Jessica Jones. Yeah. So the guy, the guy can do work, you know. Yeah. Um, Don't and, know what happened in Nightfall. It, it, Nightfall just seems like a mistake. Yeah, I think everyone. It's, in terms of in it, in terms of introducing Locke, it kind of fails because it's sort of an irrelevant story where the best parts were the 
the second stories, the little supplemental editions that you got. Uh, well, the the I forget the director, but it was produced by Ridley Scott, and this is just another example of where a Ridley Scott not the greatest name in science fiction now, and b produced by doesn't mean that they have a whole lot to do with the actual. Resulting quality, I guess. Uh, from, from what I hear, there were some creative differences between certain parties. So Nightfall, not exactly the greatest introduction to Locke. So we mostly just go off what you get him in Halo 5. And I think... He's got a nice beard. Yeah, very nice, nice beard. Face, face I, I, he definitely... I mean, there's definitely some... Like, he's pushing the Uncanny Valley at points, but he, he looks good. Just see the, the sun glistening off his... His shiny head. Yeah. But uh, I I don't want to see Locke. Locke was such a disappointment from his first initial reveal in Nightfall, as we said. And then Halo 5, the whole fake thing with the Chief, where it was supposed to be a big deal and, oh, everyone's going to hate you for doing this, and it's... Oh yeah, yeah. It was hunt the chief, and oh, it was. This felt like a couple of, of angry boys shouting at each other and, and playing little fisticuffs. Well, yeah, I think that's the. There's kind of two issues with Locke as a character, and one is that yeah, like the whole, the whole hunt the truth marketing stuff was about a very, in true Halo fashion, was misleading. Uh, it was not a major component of the campaign, and also. So there, that whole the whole tension between Locke and Chief was never going to be that important. And then the other problem is that Locke is one of three new characters on one team, uh, and you aren't playing with him the entire time. And so really I think the problem is that same with the rest of Fireteam Osiris. He gets broadly sketched out, but we don't get a much really even for him to react to. Do you know what I think is really sad? For he, Locke is the front and center of his fire team of Team Osiris. He's the the other half of of the of the, of, of of Master Chief essentially, according to the story. He's a big guy. He presses a big button at the end. Remember, very important. He press that button. Only he could you know, button press it. And uh, whenever I was playing through Halo Five, I just kept thinking every single time. Buck had more personality in one ass cheek than Locke had in entirety. I mean, to be fair, like, he's really not any more or less interesting than Chief was in the first games. The problem is that I think 343 rightly decided that you can't just have a faceless uh, character oh, yeah. for people to yeah, care yeah. about, and so storytelling has moved on. No, but no, 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 the thing is, is that, no, Buck was there. Buck should be leading the team. He's the one with the personality. He's the one with the face you recognize. He's the one who actually starts cracking jokes. And this is Mr. Stoic and Bored. Oh, there's aliens, is there? Let's go kill the aliens because that's what I do. Well, that might be. I mean, because they, they talk about how, they talk about how um, Buck was, until fairly late in development, was Thorn. I'm wondering if they knew, if they knew Nathan Fillion was going to be around from the get-go, if... Like you said, it might have made sense for him to be the leader of Fireteam Osiris. My, if he was, if he was the leader, it would have been so different. There would have been an, a, a strong, identifiable, personable personality pulling you along. 
you you would have understood better the context in which everything was happening. I think his reactions to things as a leader would have been a lot more interesting. His talk, oh, him talking to the arbiter would have been balling. So interesting. I would have loved to have seen that. And him fighting the chief, he looks up to the chief. You, know, you, you could actually you, you get that sense about him that you already know him. And you would know what he would respect the chief. He doesn't have to say, I respect him a lot. Yes, he's the reason why I'm here. You would need to say all that stupid stuff. Because it would just be inherent on what you'd expect from the character and what you know what you're bringing to the character. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Oh. In, In this head, alternate universe, just... we have just created the, the alternate Halo 5 with... Yeah, I just did. And I like Fillion. that version better now. Well, I mean, more Nathan Fillion is generally a good idea maybe next game we might have someone we might care about well and, and that's the thing like i mean while there are definitely it's a missed opportunity for Locke, they like you say i think that they probably are committed to having him in some role because i mean that's the the ultimately the backdrop to all these discussions is yeah like i don't think steve jones retired from his radio show i think like there's he's getting older there's only so long that master chief like for practical and for story reasons, can be the tentpole. So you have to come up with something, and I think I'm all I am all for Halo stories without the Chief. Right? I don't think the Master Chief is intrinsic to Halo any longer because the universe is literally too big for one man to be everywhere at all times ever. There's still, I mean, there's like I always say with people who got upset about Sarah Palmer, like she killed their puppy or something, that. There are no, really no bad characters. There's just bad writing. Yeah. And so I think there's still, especially since I think the the vocal performances in in Halo games have always been solid, the voice acting part of it, I think that it's really, he can go up. I think that you're right that they're going to keep him around. And that means that next game, like next book, yada, 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 there's still plenty of chances to improve a character. And that, that nothing that unfortunate though it might be locks sort of non-entity as you say uh to just someone who's there they can always improve that all right so you want to talk about anything else uh not really i think i think we're good right now yeah so on that note that brings us to the end of this topic and this episode uh thanks for listening uh, if you can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, uh, you can catch the new episodes on our website or via YouTube, if that's what strikes your fancy, at youtube.com slash Forward Dawn. You can engage with us at Twitter at twitter.com slash Forward Dawn or leave a comment on the website or in our forums at assembly.forwardontodawn.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time. See ya. See ya.